What's up, One Church? How you guys doing? All right, now all the party people in the house say ho. All right, very good. If this is your first time, we are always this crazy. All right, welcome to One Church. I'll be honest with you, I want to welcome all of our first-time guests. So let's give it up for them. You guys are so awesome. I tell you, when we started One Church six years ago, we knew that Clarksville didn't need another church. Because many of you, you passed by church buildings on the way to get here. But what Clarksville needed was a place where people who were far from God, who weren't connecting with God through a, a, just a normal church, to be able to come and hang out and be able to realize that God loves them very, very much. So I want to give it up to our first-time guests. Also, our VIPs are very important here at One Church, our volunteers. Let's give it up for them. You guys and ladies are awesome. It's because of you that we're able to do this week in and week out. And uh, as you heard, a lot of our family ministry volunteers, they are on hiatus for two weeks because we want to give them breaks. Many of them serve day in and day out for years, and we want to give them some time off just to say, <sighs> how many of y'all, you, you know what at least one New Year's resolution is? Anyone? Raise your hand. Did none of y'all do New Year's resolutions? Thank you so much, Donna. All right, cool. The rest of us just like, what's the point? All right? You've already given up. It's not even 2014. You've given up. All right? I, we just, we need to have a conversation. Here's the thing about New Year's resolutions is when you make them over the first two weeks, 80% of people usually break them in the first two weeks. So I understand that defeating feeling of why well, I don't know if I want to do a New Year's resolution. But there's so many things as we look at the new year, we have a tendency to be able to refocus and recalibrate and I need to start doing this. I shouldn't start doing this. And the great thing about it is the Bible is such a great tool for helping us recalibrate many times our money thoughts or our money priorities. In fact, this is what Jesus said himself. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus said it like this. He said... But seek what? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, talking about God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Seek first. You know, when we get a priority straight, everything just seems usually to fall in place. Seek first his plans, his ideas, his priorities. And it's amazing when our priorities are a little off, sometimes our beliefs and definitely our actions can get off. Seek first. That sounds good. I like that. The problem is, if we're not careful, we have this tendency to isolate and to segregate God from some of the most important areas of my life. And let me just illustrate this, all right? Most of us, when we do our New Year's resolutions, we make a list. And it goes something like this, okay? Number one, I'm going to put Jesus, all right? Now, if you've grown up in church all your life, you know the answer is always what? All right, cool. If you've not grown up in church all your life, I totally understand that. Uh, sometimes church people can be a little weird. I totally agree with that. But, uh, you know, in Sunday school, you know, okay, who, you know, led the Israelites into the promised land? Jesus. No. But usually Jesus is always the right answer, right? But we have this idea, okay, we're going to put Jesus first. All right? Okay, that sounds good. And then secondly, we'll probably do something like this. Okay, we're going to do our family, all right? When it comes to 2014, our priorities, okay, we're going to do better with our family, and we're going to spend more time with our family, and we're going to be a better dad, a better mom, a better husband, a better wife, okay? That's probably what many of us do. Third, it's probably going to be career. 
right? Career. We say, okay, you know what? I'm going to be a better employee. I'm going to be a better boss. I'm going to do better on my job. I'm going to get the promotion. I'm going to get the raise. And we have this tendency that we say, okay, number one, Jesus sounds good. That's always the right answer. Two, family. Okay, okay, I'm going to be better dad, better mom. I'm going to be a better son, better daughter. Three, I'm going to do better in my career. Four, maybe health. Okay? We talk about losing pounds or getting a, a bigger, you know, guns or whatever that is. I don't quite know what any of them I'm talking about. So anyway, it wasn't that funny. All right, anyway. But we have this tendency to kind of approach New Year's resolutions and our priorities, and we say, this is usually what we do, okay? We say, it's Jesus first, then it's family. It's Jesus first, in then our career. It's Jesus first in then our health. And I think the problem with that is this. I mean, really, are we supposed to put Jesus before our family? I mean, are we supposed to be mean to our family and nice to Jesus? I mean, are we supposed to spend all of our time in prayer and in the Bible and spend no time with our kids? Is that really what God wants? Or let's just go to the next one, career. Are we supposed to, you know, spend all of our time, or should we just quit our jobs and become monks with robes and we go, um, right? Is that really what God wants from us? I mean, does God want us to not do our job and to spend all of our time with our Bible open and, and memorizing Scripture when you're supposed to be typing or filing or doing whatever you do? I mean, is that really what God wants? The problem with this is this is when we do this, we have a tendency to say, okay, yes, Jesus is first, but then I, I, I need to do my family. And we kind of keep Jesus up here at number one, and we don't let him infiltrate our family. We say it's Jesus, then our family, Jesus, then our career, Jesus, then our health. And I think that's totally wrong. I think it should look something like this. It should be Jesus in our family. It should be Jesus in our career. It should be Jesus in our health. So what I want to propose to you today is something very simple. It's a paradigm shift. I want you to stop putting Jesus first on your list and then, okay, I'm going to put down the right answer and then I'm going to move on and get to real life. Because I believe what God's word teaches us is this. The real life, a, a real Christ follower, Jesus infiltrates every area of our life. We don't segregate Jesus over here and then we do everything else over here. We don't say, okay, it's Jesus on Sunday and then Monday is, okay, it's, it's the J-O-B. I, I got to do the real thing and it's in the real world. And I, I, don't, I don't think that's right. I think we need to stop putting Jesus first and we need to make Jesus the center of everything. And how that's going to look like is this. It's Jesus. Family. Jesus. Career. Jesus. Health. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus and 
All right, y'all have got this good. All right, so Jesus should be the center of our lives, all right? So it's not Jesus then, it's Jesus in, and that's our big idea today. Just in case you need to bounce out, it's this. Don't put Jesus first on your list. It's not Jesus then, it's Jesus in. It's not Jesus then our family. It's not Jesus then our career. It's not just Jesus then our health. It's Jesus in everything. And again, if you're not a Christ follower, if church is not really your gig, I understand that. In fact, many of you, if you probably church is not your thing, it may have been your thing at one time and then you kind of bounce out of church. And here's the reason why. It's because you hung out and you saw Christians that they were great Christians on Sunday. But Monday, they were really shrewd businessmen and it had nothing to do with Christ. And I don't think that's what God wants. If Jesus is going to be, here's, and here's a term I want to use, if Jesus is going to be calling the shots, if Jesus is going to be the Lord over Sunday, he has to infiltrate every other day of the week. Jesus wants to call the shots. Jesus wants to be the sinner. Now, I think what we need is a Copernican revolution. How many of y'all ever heard of Copernicus? Anyone? All right, good. For some of you who not, maybe from public school education, we're going to have a great time today because there was this guy in the 16th century named Nicholas Copernicus, and he was this astronomer, uh, and he challenged the idea of that time. The, here's, here was the idea, and the church many times kind of pushed this idea, that the sun revolved around the earth. If this is the earth, the sun revolves around the earth. And he said, I don't think that's quite the way it is. I think it's the earth that revolves around the sun. You see, and this is really a key, and, and, and it's probably one of the biggest reasons why so many people are jacked up. We are the center of our universe. We are the center, and we think stuff should revolve around us. And he proposed this very, at the time, very heretical idea and the church almost like killed him for it. I mean, church was crazy back then. I don't know what was up, right? But I mean, they said, you know, the, I mean, everybody's like, you know, lashing out against him, all because he said, you know what? I got this idea. Maybe, just maybe, the sun doesn't revolve around the earth, but the earth revolves around the sun. And I think in this Copernican revolution that he purported, I think we need that in every area of our life. Because here's the thing. We have this tendency to say, okay, you know what? Everything in my life, it's going to revolve around family. It's going to revolve around career, health. It revolves around me. And it's not, it shouldn't revolve around me. It should revolve around thee. It should revolve around him. It's a total paradigm shift. And, and, and here's what I have in mind for the rest of the day. I think, I think we need to have this Copernican revolution. When you're born... You believe that the world revolves around you. How many of y'all, you've had babies recently, right? Or you've known somebody that has a baby recently. All right, cool. Some of you. Uh, you know, when you have a baby, when the baby comes out, the baby, what? The baby cries, and when the baby cries, you do what? You feed it. Because the baby's world, it's all about me, right? It's all about the baby. And, and the baby's cries, you either feed it or you make sure it's, it, you know, it's changed. You maybe change the diaper. Um, someone feeds you as a baby. Someone changes you. Someone, you can't go to sleep on your own. Somebody has to put you to sleep. Somebody even has to burp you. It's all about you. 
all right? And, 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 and here's the thing. The problem is when kids grow up, hopefully they get out of that. It's not just about them. Hopefully, when you get 22 years old, you realize that it's not about you. I remember when I was in sixth grade. I went to this band teacher. Her name was Lena Warren. I still remember that. She may be watching this morning. If, if you are, I apologize. Um, I went to Richview Middle School. And um, I was coming in the band room, and Lena Warren was my band director. And she says, she looked at me, and she says, Chris, do you know that the world doesn't revolve around you? And I said, yes, it does, right? Because when you're a sixth grader, you know, you'll say anything opposite of the adult just to get a rise out of them. Now, I knew that personally, but you know what? Maybe there were some parts of my life I still didn't quite get it. In fact, there are still parts of my life that I still don't quite get it. That God is naturally having to peel back and show me. And one of the things I want to look at today is how we can take us out of the center and make Jesus the center of everything. So let's just kind of look at this. Let's start with the career. Let's start with the job. How do you make Jesus the center of your job? Because it shouldn't be Jesus then your job. It should be Jesus in your job, all right? Well, the best way I can explain this is J.S. Bach. Johann Sebastian Bach. Uh, I love this dude. In fact, um, here's a picture of him. Um, I, a lot of the Christmas carols that I love singing were written by J.S. Bach. Now, here's the thing about J.S. Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach, is he was a worship pastor in Germany, all right? He was a worship. Now, isn't it amazing how worship pastors today don't quite look like that? How many of y'all are thankful that J.D. doesn't look like that? I am. Because I would make fun of him. All right? Well, Johann Sebastian Bach was on staff at a church. And get this. This was so interesting. The church had him under contract that he was to write 58 original songs every year. So Johann Sebastian Bach, he was frantic, scribbling down songs and melodies and words in some of the hymns that many churches still sing today. Here's the thing about Johann Sebastian Bach. After he completed the song, he would write his name, and then he would put these initials. In fact, some of you, you can see it over here. Here it is right here. It's Soli Deo Gloria. Many times he would put the initials S-D-G, and that stands for Soli Deo Gloria. And what that means is this, to the glory of God alone. You see, J.S. Bach, he got it. He didn't believe in this idea of having sacred songs and secular songs. And there's Christian songs and then there's non-Christian songs. Or Christian radio and non-Christian radio. J.S. Bach believed rightly that everything was God. Everything was of God. That everything uh, that God was in. It, he wasn't just segregated to one thing. And, and what's so cool about J.S. Bach is he did every piece. He would put SDG and he said, you know what? It's all to the glory of God. I love that. When I, was, I just thought that is so cool. SDG. And I think that's what God wants you and I to do even today. If you're a helicopter pilot, he wants you to do SDG. If you're a helicopter mechanic, you need to fix those helicopters and then maybe take some chalking on the inside of it, SDG, you sign it. If you, if you do taxes for a living, you do the taxes, you sign your name, SDG, all right? Maybe you're a teacher, and as you grade those papers, 
Maybe you do the, <clears throat> the um, uh, what do you call uh, report cards. You know, you put your name, SDG. And everybody's going to think you got a new degree. No, you didn't. See, what you're doing is you're doing it not for a principal, not for Uncle Sam, not for anyone else. You're doing it for who? God. You see, you fired your boss, and basically what you've done, he said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to do it all for the glory of God. What if our MO was SDG? I like that. I think part of the way you glorify God is by doing a good job, even if it's a job that you don't like, a job that you don't want, because you know that your boss is God. Now, there are cool, uh, two cool things about this. There are two whatever passages. If you have a teenager, you probably heard the, this word, whatever, right? Hey, take out the trash, whatever, right? And then what do you want to do to your teenagers? Smack them, shoot them, whatever. All right, shoot him for Jesus, though. I'm just saying. <clears throat> there are a couple of whatever passages in the Bible. The first is found in Colossians. In Colossians, look at this. Colossians says, whatever, everybody say whatever. Whatever, whatever you do, work at it with what? All of your heart is working for the Lord, not for men. With all of your heart means you, with extra energy, it means you get every, give it everything you got. You give it 110%, all of your energy and creativity in whatever you're doing. You know, I haven't always had a dream job. I love this job. I mean, I feel like this job is exactly what God has called me to do. And I couldn't even imagine not being with you guys every Sunday morning. I love you guys. But it's not always been like that. Let me tell you some of the jobs that I've had. I have, uh, I've delivered pizzas. Um, I, uh, and I was a mean pizza delivery. I, uh, I, was a, I was a pool boy. I was a cabana boy. So I hated cleaning pools in Dallas. I cleaned the next door neighbors of Ross Perot. I mean, these pools were more expensive than any amount of money I'm ever going to get in my life, right? I mean, they're nuts. Cascading waterfalls and all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, you know, it's 100 degrees and I'm cleaning somebody's pool and I can't get in it, right? That's, that's called sin. I would be cleaning all these pools. I hated it. But I had to remind myself, you know what? I'm doing this not for me and not just to get a paycheck. I want to clean this pool and let this owner see God in what I do. I've read electric meters. I, I did that when I was in, in college here at Austin P. I I mean, I have, uh, I remember I, I sold health insurance. Um, I ended up, uh, don't call me Obamacare. I, I remember uh, I, selling caskets for a day when I lived in, in Dallas. That was awful. I was a tape duplicator to an African-American preacher by the name of Tony Evans. I did all, all of this stuff, and all, a lot of it, some of it I liked, some of it I didn't, but I think the goal is this. Even if you don't like your job, you got to sometimes change your perspective. At least you got a job and do it all for the glory of God. Students, when you go back to school in a week and a half, you need to do it all for what? The glory of God. You need to do it like God is your principle. Like you're to study. You're to make good grades. Why? Because God wants you to make his name big in your school. That's what it means to give God glory. It's to make his name big and not your own, all right? God created us to work. And I know that sounds weird because some of you are like, maybe you don't like work. Um, did you know that God gave Adam a job before sin ever entered the world? This is interesting. God gave Adam a job before he gave Adam a wife. 
That means if you are single and you're trying to get married, the best thing you need to do is what? Get a job. Get a J-O-B, right? That's a big deal, all right? And, and so many of us, even those who have jobs, our mindset is this. You know what? Let me just get through to the weekend. And, 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 we, and we hear it in our language. You know what? Monday, you know, rainy days and Mondays always get me down, all right? Or, you know, there's Wednesday. It's hump day. And we're over the hump, right? I mean, and we just, we just live to get to the weekend. And I think if we have that mindset, you know what, let me just live to get to the weekend, we're going to miss out on what God wants us to do with our, making his name big on our job. There's, I mean, God wants us all to be able to, to do work and to do work to bring his name big and to bring him glory. That's such a big deal that you know you're going to spend about a third of your life on the job. Which means you got, you just can't just get through it, all right? Let me show you two ways before we move on of how you can glorify God on the job. First is you change your perspective. You don't grumble about your job. You, you're thankful that you even have a job. You don't grumble about it. You, you, you I mean, you, you just, you're, you're thankful. So you change your perspective. You change your perspective of not just working for your boss, but working for the boss, also, here's another thing. You change your perspective, but you also change your performance. That's a big deal. You know, if you're a Christ follower and, and, and all you do is play Candy Crush on the job, please don't tell them, invite them to one church. All right? Because what you're going to be doing is you're not making Jesus' name great. And you're definitely putting us in a bad light. Because if you, you want to change your performance, it, you don't do Facebook while you're on the job. I, I heard this one guy, he got a job, <clears throat> all he, he spent his entire day on the job, on the phone texting, until eventually he lost his job. You know, there's more to life than just this. There's more to life than just you. You change your performance, you change your perspective. Let me show you the second whatever passage. Whatever. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, what, what, what's the first word? Whatever you do, whether, whether you eat or drink. How many of y'all did that over the holidays? Tell the truth, shame the devil. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Now, what, what he's saying is this. It's not when you eat this Twinkie, God, I do this for your glory. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this, even in the menial task. Even in the routines of your life, even the things that might seem mundane, there is a way to do it to bring God's name great. And it's all about your attitude. It's all about your attitude. And again, I, I have been in those jobs that's just been menial. I, I, again, I told you I, I used to do cassette tapes for an aftermarket preacher by the name of Tony Evans. And I, I love Dr. Evans. And, but this is what I did for eight hours. I put in tapes. Y'all remember cassette tapes, right? Some of you are like, what is it? I had these cassette tapes. I would put them in, and about 30 seconds later, they would go fast, and they would record, and I'd take them out, and I'd put them in again. 30 seconds later, take them out, put them in again. That's what I did for eight hours. I mean, I did not like it. I loved him. I loved his ministry. It wasn't a good fit for me. But I'm trying to figure out, okay, how can I make God's name great? And many times I failed. And the reason why is just because of my attitude. I had a bad attitude. 
tell you, attitude so many times determines so much of your life. Chuck Swindoll said it like this, that 99% of everything that happens to you, whether it's going to be good or bad, has everything to do with your attitude. It's only 1% has to do with your circumstances. So, and attitude is such a big deal. You know, yet I'd, I'd much rather hire somebody that has a good attitude that maybe doesn't know it all because I, we can teach skills. You can't teach attitude. You can't teach attitude. So have a good attitude on your job. That's what it means to do SDG, to have that Copernican revolution. Now, let's look at this one. All right? We've talked about career. Let's look at family, and let's look at relationships. And by the way, all of this is coming straight from Colossians. So how do we do this when it comes to our relationships? Well, I think we need to have a Copernican revolution in our relationships, and that means it's not about us. It's not about us. Um, We don't put Jesus first. It's not Jesus then something, but it's, (coughs) excuse me, Jesus in something. How do you treat your parents? How do you treat your parents? I mean, if you really want to make God the center of your life, then it's going to change how you treat your parents. How about this? How you treat your husband. How you treat your wife. How you talk about them when they're not in the room. How you treat your friends. Do you tell them the truth or not? I think for many of us, we start the assumption, okay, if I'm going to, if it's going to be Jesus is going to be the center of my relationships, then we have to start every conversation with a prayer. Lord Jesus. All right? That's not what it means. Or or this, you know what, to, to be Jesus, the center of my relationships, before I get together with the guys and we watch football, that we need to sing a song, right? Let's just sing how he loves us. That's not what it means. There's nothing wrong with singing and nothing wrong with praying. But you know what? There's something to be said that we can glorify God, and it doesn't have to just be singing or prayer. Let me show you what Paul wrote in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 7, and it says this. And what's that next word? Whatever. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. There is so much packed in that verse that I could spend so much time there. Whether in word or deed, if you want to talk, it needs to be about Jesus. If you're going to walk it, it needs to be about Jesus. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, and then we should be thankful. Uh, Thankful, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now look at this. Wise, what's that next word? Nobody likes that word. That is a four-letter word, isn't it? And we've, we've talked about what submit means. What submit means is to put somebody else's needs above your own. So wives, put your husband's needs before your own. Wow, that's difficult. So even when you don't feel like doing this or that, or you put his needs above your own. Okay, I mean, that, what, that's what it means to have a Copernican revolution in a marriage. So you put your other person's needs before your own. Have I ever told you guys the difference between a happy marriage and an unhappy marriage? Let me tell it to you. An unhappy marriage is two people who are trying to get the marriage to revolve around themselves. It's about them, and they're the center. A happy marriage is two unselfish people who are trying to meet each other's needs. That's the difference. I think all of us were selfish, and, and God knows that, so he allows us to get married. He says, that'll fix it, and then we get married, and you know what? It doesn't fix it. It helps, so then that's when God says, I'm going to give you kids, right? 
<laughs> that don't fix it. Nothing will, right? I'm just saying, there's just, there's just something about you can't be selfish and happily married at the same time. You can't. Because to be happily married, you have to be unselfish. You have to put the other person's needs before your own. Let's look at husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Guys, you want Jesus to be the center of your relationships? How well do you treat your spouse? Do you show your love to them? And I'm not just saying, hey, do you, it's not just saying, I love you. I mean, so many guys, here's how we define that. Okay, it's, it's about this. It's about showing your spouse you love them the way she needs to feel it. Let me explain this this way. So many times, us as guys, we say, you know what? I, my, my wife knows that I love her. Okay, how is that? Because I work all the time and I provide for her. Really? We're going to go there? Right? I mean, you know what? I, or I told her I loved her when we got married, and, you know, if something changes, I, I, I'll let her know. Really? No, that's a cop-out, right? I'll I tell you how I, I screw this up in my marriage. Um, my wife, how I love to receive love is many times by uh, getting gifts and, and, and usually affection. Um, my wife, how she loves to receive love how she likes to receive love is by words of affirmation. So what really does fill up her love tank is when I write her notes and, and, just, and just talk to her about it. Now, you need to know this. I would rather be beat twice than have to sit down and write a note. All right? I would. I, I mean, sometimes I don't feel like Romeo when I, when I write it. You know, I go, roses are red, violets are blue. You know, I just don't. I feel like a bumbling idiot. And, and, and many times I will show her love the way I like to receive love. And a quick question, am I really showing her love? No, I'm not. Uh, you have to figure out what makes your wife or your husband tick and show them love in that way because it's not about being selfish when it comes to love. You put their needs before your own. You honor them above yourselves. All right, let's talk about kids. Kids, how can you put Jesus at the center of your lives? Well, Colossians 3.20 says this, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. It's about honoring your father and mother. Dear Lord, what's happening? Anyway, it's about honoring your father and your mother, okay? Um, that's such a big deal. That he, he wants you to obey your mom and your dad. And that is a big deal to him. As we close, I think we need a Copernican revolution in our church. I do. I believe, and I hope that this is a place where you can come and you can get fed. But I just want to remind you that spiritual maturity is about producing more than you consume. I think some of you are maybe like, you know what? I wish I got more out of church. Let me just tell you this. If you want to get more out of church, you give more. It's like that in any and every area of your life. If you want to have a better marriage, it's not just about her doing this. It's about you giving more. If you want to have a better career, then you know what? You have to give your part. That is how you get better and you enjoy it. And that, that's, I think that's exactly what we need when it comes to our church. So how does all of this start as we close? I think it starts by committing our lives to Jesus, making him the boss, making him, the churchy word is saying it this way, making him Lord. 
But all that means is giving him the opportunity to call the shots. It's dethroning yourself. It's taking yourself out of the center of your life and having a Copernican revolution and making him in the center. And let me tell you how this happened with me. I remember I grew up in church all of my life. And I remember going down front when I was eight years old, and uh, you know they had they did altar calls and invitations, and I went down front because all my friends were going down front. I prayed a prayer, I got dunked, and nothing really happened in here. And uh, for the next three or four years, I just struggled. And then when I was turned, you know, twelve, thirteen, I really got it. I understood what it meant about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. So um, I got saved. That's how we kind of say it in church. And um, from there, you know, I, 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 my agenda was to tell Jesus what I wanted him to do in my life. It was trying to get Jesus to follow me, not me following Jesus. My prayers consisted about, you know, I, okay, I don't want to know so much your will for my life, God, but here's what I'm already good at, and this is what I want you to kind of get involved in. You know, there's a fine line between my will and thy will. I wonder how many times we think about following Jesus, but really it's about my kingdom come and it's about my will be done. And it's a lifelong process of figuring out what he wants. And it, it, it's, it, it's, it's, such, it's, it's so integral there. But it, and it's not just about making lists and putting Jesus then my family. Jesus, then my career, or it's making Jesus the center, and it's Jesus in my family. And okay, if, if Jesus is going to be the center of my family, then it matters how I treat my, my friends, it matters how to treat my, my, my spouse, my husband, my wife, my kids, it matters how I treat my parents. If, if it's going to be Jesus in my career, then it matters what I do on the job. That's so integral. It's not just about making Jesus first. Jesus then, it's making Jesus in. As I close, I want to read you Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. And um, it's such a beautiful passage because it's in this passage that we see um, Paul really repaint a portrait of what Jesus is really like. Because most of us, we just came through in fact, if you would go back, and we're going to see this in a minute, uh, let's do the Colossians 1.15, the very beginning, because I missed that, and then we'll come back to this one. Paul, we, we spent so much time in Christmas thinking about Jesus as a baby, and he was, but Jesus was way more than that. This is what Colossians 1.15 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. You see, we can't see God, but 2,000 years ago, Jesus showed up so that people could see God. He's the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and he is supreme over what? All creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms. Now, this is so cool. Do you know, and some of you know this, that God created the heavens and the earth? Yeah, that's right. But do you know it was specifically Jesus who created the heavens and the earth? That's what this verse says. That God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Jesus, he made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. All right, next verse. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Now you can go back to that other verse if you wouldn't mind. Thanks, Dan. This is Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. He is before how many things? All things, and in him 
all things hold together. Can we say that? All things hold together. And in him, all things hold together. He is also the head of the body. The church. That's so important. Do you know it's not Chris or anyone else leading this church, but it's Jesus. Jesus is the senior pastor. It's Jesus who's the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that he himself will come to have what? First place in everything. How many things? Everything. What do you do? Everything. What do you think? Everything. How you treat your parents? First place in everything. How you treat your spouse? Everything. How you work on the job? Everything. That last verse should haunt you. That he might come to have first place in everything. And if you want to take that next step this next year, in 2014, and you get serious about your relationship with God, then you're going to have to ask yourself this question, in what areas is he not the center? In what areas is he not first place? Because I promise you, if he's not the center of your life, your life is either unraveling or it's getting ready to unravel. It's starting to become frazzled because when you make him the center of your life, he will hold your world together like the hub of a wheel. Jesus at the center holds everything together like the hub and spokes. He's made you a promise that for those who trust him, that if you make him the center of your life, he will hold your world together. God, that's a promise. I love that in Colossians. When you make him the center of your life, he will hold you. And I don't know how difficult your life is right now. Some of you, you're coasting. Things are great. Praise God for that. For others of you, things are not that great. What Jesus said, if you put him at the center of your life, he will hold everything together. If Jesus is supreme, then he is first place in everything. He, in him, all things hold together. Do you get that? Let me tell you how this illustrates just practically. Because in my body... And in your body, we have certain molecules in our bodies. There's this one molecule called laminin. Can we say that together? Laminin. Not laminate, but laminin. Let me tell you a little bit about laminin. Laminin is a cell adhesion molecule. It's a protein molecule. And let me kind of explain how this. Cells are organized into certain molecular structure. And right now we have about 10 to 60,000 different molecules in our body. We really don't even know how many molecules are in there. But of these molecules, we have this cell adhesion molecule that kind of keeps everything together. It's kind of like rebar. Everybody know what rebar is? When you have concrete, you pour concrete, you pour this rebar, this metal skeleton, if you will, and it holds everything together. That's what laminin does in my body and your body. It's rebar. It holds everything together. You're still not getting it. But let me show you what laminin looks like. That is the molecule laminin. What shape is it? Do you know, this is how cool God is. God is illustrating in my body and your body millions of times over that you are held together by little crosses, that you are held together by this cell adhesion molecule, laminin, and it's God that's holding you together. 
if you put Jesus in the center of your life, you're going to hit some bumps. You're going to hit some potholes. But I promise you, he can and will, it's a promise, he will hold all things together. Before I close, let's answer some questions you guys have. Moving into a new year, I am working on tolerance. What, us, uh, what is the church's stance on the Phil Robertson A&E issue on judging and loving our neighbors? Let me say this. Before I go into A&E and Phil Robertson, um, so, uh, does everybody know the whole controversy and everything that's happened? It's because of what he's, he said some things about homosexuality. He, he called it a sin. And before I go any further, I want to say this. As the body of Christ and as the church, we have done more disservice and we've been so awful not loving people who, who aren't like us. There, the, the gay and lesbian community, I just want to say this, the church has so harmed you and has thrown stones at you and, and we are not called to change anyone. Do you know that? The church isn't called to change anyone. In fact, let me just say this. The ch- God is all about capturing your heart, not about your habits. So before I go any further, I just want to say I'm sorry and apologize. And if, if you're gay, if you're lesbian, you are always welcome here at this church. Why? Because we love you, because we love everybody. That's what Jesus Christ calls us to do, is to love everyone. To love everyone. That being said, the Bible does say he has a whole list of sins. It's people who look at other men and other women, people who um, are alcoholics, people who are gluttons, people, and he has these whole list, and homosexuality is in there. And you know what? If we are going to understand God and really handle the Bible and, and believe it to be true, then I have to believe that. But you need to know this. Just as I believe, yes, homosexuality is a sin, I also believe gluttony is a sin. And isn't it amazing how most pastors look more like me? Right? I mean, we won't preach against Twinkies. (laughs) Really, we won't. So I say all this just by saying, we love you. And you are always welcome here. And we're not going to try to change you at all. We want Jesus to be big in your life. And we believe that once that happens, God will do some things. He will. He's doing some things in my life. He's done some things in your life. He will do some things in everyone's life. So I just, I hope I'm clear in that. If you're hearing any condemnation in my tone, it's not there. God loves sinners, and we are all sinners. Another question. Um, That was, uh, thank you for that one. Um. Here's another one. Um, Why did people live so much longer in the early chapters of the Bible compared to nowadays? That's a great question. Let me just say this. The reason why, two reasons. Number one, when Jesus created people, he created them without sin. That means there wasn't any death, there wasn't any disease. They were perfect. All right. Now, here's the thing. When we chose sin over God, what that happens is death and disease came into the world, and everything just got all crazy and jacked up. And, but Adam and Eve were still kind of made, they were still perfect, even though disease came into the world, and they lived a long time. 
And the farther we get away from Adam and Eve, the more destructive sin and disease and death becomes. It's like this. If you take a picture of your grandpa and you put it on a copier and you make a photocopy of it, and then you take that same copy of the picture and you make a photocopy of it, and then you take that copy and you photocopy it, after a while, what's going to happen to that picture? It's going to degrade because you've made a copy of 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 a copy. And you know what? That's exactly what's happened with us. We've lived so long and sin has messed so much stuff up. You know, we're not living as long as they did in the Bible. So uh, that's, one, that's one of the biggest reasons. So great question. Thank you guys so much. I really would encourage you next week, we're going to start a new series and we're going to be talking about where we're going in 2014 as a church. And I really hope and pray that you guys come. Invite a friend. We're going to have a great time next week. Right now, I'm going to ask my boy Luther. Y'all say hello to Luther. As Luther comes out, we're going to uh, take up the offering. And uh, I just want to say this. I want to thank you guys so much for giving here. Um, it's because you give that we're able to do some amazing things week in and week out. You know, when uh, the, um, uh, the furlough happened, thank you, when the furlough happened, we had a lot of people weren't getting paid. And then for like a couple of weeks, we only had like two, $300 offerings. In fact, this is what's interesting. We gave away more money during the furlough than we got. Why? Because we believe the church is not a building. The church is a group of people who be able to go and help out. And we have, we've seen so many people baptized this year. We've seen so many people come to Christ this year. We've, we've been able to have kids, take kids to camp. Um, we've been able to do so many amazing things. And that's happened because you have been faithful in giving. So I just want to say thanks. You guys deserve a hand. Thank you guys so very much. Thank you so much for giving.